Let's get it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Real Ill Show, where we keep it real for you. So, today's episode is a little bit different because we've exploded so much in popularity with our podcast. We are now taking guest speakers. You heard it. It is now a show where we invite guests. If you'd like to be a guest, you can apply by DMing us. Today's guest is a very special person, and I'm going to let you introduce yourself, bro. Yeah, hi, my name's Kamen. Um, I actually know one of the podcast uh, co-hosts, so I guess I, I um, am not really that unique. I'm not one of the, one of the fans like you. But I should say that um, this podcast is, has some really interesting insights, so I'm glad to be on the show with you guys. Thank you for being here. And Will, I'm going to let you yes, introduce the topic for today's discussion. All right, let's mix it up a little bit, yeah. Um, okay, guys, so today we're going to talk about something very interesting and dear to us three and that is living abroad and all the complications and all the unique challenges that come with it and how each of us have a unique experience living abroad i myself lived in the uk Cameron, you lived in china i think right yeah. am i right I yeah china and emil is still living in the uk so each and each of us will have a different story to share, I hope. And uh, I hope you have um, a great time listening to us. Yeah, if you're considering moving abroad or if you're living abroad, it's I think it's an interesting conversation to listen to because everyone has a different experience. I think by far, for everyone listening, the most interesting experience of all of us would probably be Cummins because he went all the way to China. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so when I graduated, I still didn't know what I wanted to major in in, in, in university. So I decided, uh, I was already learning Chinese for about four years. So I decided, okay, I'll do a gap year after finishing high school. And I'll go to China, you know, learn Chinese with the locals, you know, because... Chinese is kind of different from like English because when you learn English, you can learn it from like your computer, video games, cartoons, blah, blah, blah. But Chinese, it's uh, like it's it's a bit more difficult because it's like not a European language. It's not something you have contact with every day. So you have to be immersed in, in the language. So I decided, yeah, I have I'm already learning this language. So it, it'll be a waste to not like, you know. To not make it, you know, to not take take it to the max, you know, learn to speak and use it in like everyday and business situations, blah blah. So I thought that not only will I go to China, but at the end of twelfth grade, I thought like, why not go and uh, <laughs> study my bachelor there? Because first, like, they give a lot of scholarships in China for. Uh, higher education, especially for like masters and PhDs, but undergraduate degrees are also sponsored. And I was already in China when I was 16. I went there for a month. I really liked the country. I really liked the people. I really liked the culture, the the atmosphere, like everything 
it was really cool. I was like an impressionable 16-year-old. So I was like, oh, yeah, this is the, this is the shit. And I decided, you know, okay, 12th grade, I don't know what I want to do with my life. Still don't know, but, you know, uh, so I decided, yeah, I'll go to China and have another adventure and maybe study there for four years. So I applied for the scholarship. Long story short, I got the scholarship and I got sent there to study like one year of Chinese before, like the one year is compulsory if you want to study in university. Uh, so you can, you know, get up to the level that's needed to study in university all in Chinese. And so I went there and I was like, even though I've already been to China, I was, what was still... Um, what was your... How were you imagining going there and living forever? So what was your what was in your mind before you went there? How did you imagine it? What what, what was going in your head? What was I, your I, what was your what was your thinking about leaving and your your thinking about living there? I I thinking about leaving. So um I've already lived like at that point 18 years in Bulgaria. And I decided, you know, I want to see something else, something different, and I have the possibility. And my idea was, like, what's the most, like, far-out thing that's, that's, like, away from the thing I know? Like, what's, what's furthest from my comfort zone? Like, what's not Bulgaria? What's, like, the, the polar opposite of Bulgaria? And, like, the two options were, like, China and maybe the USA. Like... Because Bulgaria is in Europe, so most European countries, you kind of know them, they're close to you. Like, even though there's a lot of cultural differences, like you guys will share with us later, China's like, it's, it's not comparable to the things, you know, you're going to witness there. So my idea was, I'll go there. Like, I guess the first idea was, that I have like a lot of adventures. I imagine that I go to China and some wacky shit happens to me. Like I travel around Asia, I find some new interesting places, cultures, people. And maybe when I go there, I'll finally, you know, like out of the blue, find my purpose in life and be like, oh, yeah, it was hidden here in like the Andes. No, it's not the Andes, it's like um, in the Himalayas or in Vietnam, or in China. So my idea going there was adventure, something new, and like a way to, you know, get out of your comfort zone. All right, all right. Okay, so let's let's go to Will now real quick. Why, where did you go living abroad? And what was the reason behind your decision to go live abroad? And same thing, what was your... What was going through your head just before you went there? Right. Um, so I lived in the UK for about three, three and a half years. Um, and I went there just like common to study. That was the primary goal, so to speak, of my, um, my travel when living there. And my, my initial expectation of going to the UK was that it's a very similar country to United States. And that that's just not it. Couldn't be farther from the truth. 
because I've been to the US and I've been to the UK and the United Kingdom is a very, very different place from the United States. So that was the first misconception that I had. And I, I, I quickly realized that there was a huge difference between those two countries. Um, kind of like common, but not to that extent. I thought that my life will pick up from the UK. Like I will start living like this is it from here on. I'm going to just do great in life and um, all my problems will be sorted out because I'll have a, a UK education and um, I'll be the shit, right? That's what I thought going in there. But to be honest, I didn't really have an exciting time in the UK. On the contrary, I had a very, very boring time in the UK. Uh, mostly maybe because I made it so. I never really connected with the people there. I never really connected with the culture. I never really uh, fit in their society, so to speak. Because, um, well, UK is not as drastic as China is. Uh, indifference to Bulgaria, for example, and the culture we have in Bulgaria. But it is different. I mean, when you go over there, um, you, you feel like an alien. You you really do because uh, the it, it's not just the language barrier because everybody these days uh, know English or can pick up every second, third word of an English sentence. But the problem is that the, the culture in the UK is very... Uh, or should I put it closed? It's closed circuit. People like to keep them to themselves. People are not as social as they are in the uh, in Bulgaria. And I didn't know for myself as a person how social I was in Bulgaria until I went to the UK and I couldn't really fit in with their social structure. Because in Bulgaria, for example, we're very used to say uh, we go to each other's places all the time. Like, uh, I'll stay at your place, Sam, for like five hours and we'll just chat or we'll play some games or whatnot. Like, you couldn't, do, you, I, f I found out quickly that you can't just really do that with people in the UK. Like, you have to ask for permission. You have to, like, kind of make an appointment. Not, not literally, but in a way, you, it takes a lot, a lot of time in order for someone to just let them in to your life, in their life and, uh, be close to you. And that was the first kind of a bummer, kind of a turn off moment for me when I realized that that's not really the place for me. Second thing was the climate. I really didn't think that a climate would have such an effect on uh, on me as a person because I always thought that things like whether it's raining today or whether it's cloudy all month would have an effect on me. But it really did. Like I started missing the sunshine. I started missing all those moments uh, that I have related with good weather, like going outside with friends and stuff. And the UK, uh, I'm not going to exaggerate that much, you know, that the weather is bad. But it's not the brightest. Yeah, literally. yeah. You, you went all the way up to Newcastle, bro. That's, 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 yeah. some, that's some cold shit. Yeah. Yeah, and I went over there on the border with Scotland in Newcastle, and um, so that's the first thing I learned there that oh, I'm not gonna see sun for the whole year, and literally my mood would pick up 
and changed dramatically when there was sunshine. And that was so surprising to me because I never thought that something like sunshine would ever have an effect on me as it, as it did in Newcastle. Okay, so, so let's... Yeah. Um, so you went, so, you, you, went, yep. you went there to study and mm -hmm. you, quickly, you quickly saw that you missed the social interactions or yeah. you miss, you miss the, the style of social interactions you've had. Yeah, I'll say the style. I'm not the saying that, that British people aren't social. Yeah. On the contrary, they're social, but in their own way that I didn't really fit in. I didn't yeah. really understand because, like, I'm going to say a couple of things. Like, for example, in the UK, it's a big football is a huge thing. Drinking beer is a huge thing. Um, uh, biking, for example, is a huge thing. Uh, and I didn't do any of those things. I wasn't into football i don't like beer and i wasn't really a cyclist to be honest so what was your and did you had i couldn't fit in did you had a culture shock when when you went there did you had like a, a moment when you were i'll tell you mine um Go for it. so but, i yeah. i came to the uk when i was 18 um just not really knowing what to do um my mom was here and my mom lived abroad for a long time so um we never really got to spend much time together, so she was here, so it was easy to, to come to someone that was already here. But my first culture shock in the UK was um, getting a job here. So my first job here was a sandwich chef, because I, I graduated as a, as a chef. And the, the culture shock between, the culture shock was how strict they were with the rules. And that really surprised me and that, um yeah and yeah um so when when i came to the uk and i was working in the kitchen they wouldn't let me work without a hat or protective shoes and it, they were following a strict protocol and i thought i could get away when i i got they gave me shit for not wearing a hat in the kitchen so my hair doesn't fall in the food. So I thought I could get away by picking up my winter hat and putting it on. And I almost got fired. And that was like my first proper like culture shock when I was, holy shit, these people are really strict about their rules. So wow. I'm, I'm interested to know you guys' culture shock. Um, I'm going to go back to Kamen again because you and I have been talking for a while. So Yeah, go for it. What was your Kamen when you went to China? What was the first thing that like that gave you a culture shock? It's um, it will definitely it definitely has to be the size of everything, like the sheer scale of the country. So even if you're like even if you come from the UK and you go to China, the first thing you notice is the size, like the size of the population, the the area of the cities, the size of the borders, the the, the Everything. So can, much you, can you say where exactly you were in China? Yeah, I was in Shanghai. So I went for the. I've been to Beijing too for one month. I've also traveled around China during the one year that I was in Shanghai. But the main, like, main city I was in, uh, the city where like I went to university was Shanghai. So, I mean, landing on the airport and the airport is like sixty kilometers away. 
from the place I was staying. And the place I was staying is like in a very good part of Shanghai. It's like really close to the center of the city, like the perfect center. So like traveling those 60 kilometers, which in retrospect, like 60 kilometers is the distance from my hometown. It's like close to where M and Will are from because we're from different cities in Bulgaria. So it's almost the same, like almost the same distance from where we were born. It's like that's where the airport in Shanghai is, like from the center of the city. So that was immensely shocking because you go there and you feel like a little mouse. You feel like someone who's like been dropped in the middle of like a really busy crowd. You don't understand anything because even if you speak Chinese, like when you're put in the middle of like a Chinese crowd for the first time, even it wasn't my first time, but it was like, it was still really fresh. You don't understand anything. You don't understand what people are like saying to you. It's so confusing. And you feel like an ant, like amongst billions of other ants. And it's kind of a humbling feeling. Yeah, I was about to say, how did you, how did that feeling affect you of, of being <laughs> small? I mean, it was, the feeling was, that's, that's the main culture shock in China, which you experience. It's being small, but at the same time, sticking out everywhere you go. So at, you're at the same time. It's really strange. You're part of like 30 million, or I don't think it's three, it's like 24 million. Uh, like you're a part of 24 million people society in Shanghai. 24 million people live there and you can feel that every day. But at the same time, everywhere you go, you feel like an outsider because, you know, they know you're not Chinese. They can see you don't speak Chinese. You know, you're not, you're not from here. So at the same time, you're in the middle of the crowd, but you're standing out of the crowd. And that's like the, I wouldn't say that's necessarily a culture shock. I think you expect something like that, but it's still really, you know, breathtaking and surprising and shocking at first. And I don't think you ever get used to it per se. You, you don't accept it. Maybe you get used to it, but you don't accept it and you don't feel like it's right. Did it yeah. ever make you uncomfortable that you were sticking out? Did did you stick out in a bad way, or did, could no, you see the reflection in the people's eyes that they were looking I mean, at you the wrong way? No, no, I wouldn't say sticking out is like a two-way street. Every way, every time you do something good or interesting, it gets magnified. You know, it gets like exposure, and you get you know you get even unnecessary accolades for things you do. But at the same time, if you do something bad, it's like you feel 10 times as more pressure and, uh, and um, mostly a pressure and critiques when you do something bad because, you know, you're sticking out and people always target someone who's sticking out, be it for good or for bad things. Did you feel like uh, an outsider in the UK, Will, when you went there? Did you feel like you were sticking out? I wouldn't say so. Not not to that extent. That I think, I think it's because I think it's because there's much more foreigners and and people in countries like UK or even America or more Western English speaking places, more mainstream places. People are kind of used to a lot of tourism and a lot of people going there for work. 
easy easy to learn languages mainstream languages not that hard to get into so i guess you would experience much more of a shock in china definitely i kind of had an edge too because i'm named william which is a british name and uh, i i have good english and um and it didn't really stick out but the thing is that in a in a way uh uk is shockingly different from bulgaria but but when i when i say that i mean the um the social difference as a country as um as a structure it's very similar i mean you 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 pick up the patterns right away this is the supermarket this is the subway this is the university this is the bus you take to go to the university this is how you find a job this is a bar and there are not a lot of cultural differences between a bulgarian and a british man but at the same time there are a lot yeah. That's a, that's a really good point because I always like to say the difference is because everyone asks like is it like something major or you see it no the differences are always subtle you know it's something like something you can very notice like we eat like in a different manner or in a different hour of the day and that's like a really subtle difference but all these subtle differences just accumulate to make one big cultural difference which you don't see like in the moment but once you accumulate and look at all of the little things that add up that's where the like the the cultural differences definitely definitely that's why i like to say when somebody tells me that oh i i went to italy for two weeks and saw rome and or whatever like you, you've seen nothing yeah you, yeah you can't see the go little. there go there live there you gotta immerse yourself in their society, in their culture, and then you got you start seeing those subtle things, like say in China, everybody's wearing a mask in the subway. That was uncommon before COVID in any Western country, and now it's everywhere, and it's very common. But it was very uncommon. Sorry, did I say China? I think it was Japan. But um. Yeah, it, yeah, these China. little, yeah, China probably as well. Uh, these little differences they come up in time when you immerse yourself in their society, and you start to realize, wow, there's a huge gap between us and them. Um, um. So, out of all of us, you've lived the longest outside of your country. I mean, you've spent. Like what? Eight, nine years? Yeah, nine years. So you're, you're twenty. You're twenty-seven. Yeah. So that one third of your life has been outside of Bulgaria. Yeah. So maybe you can share because we've seen the differences, me and Will, but we didn't grow accustomed to it. We didn't have to change our lifestyle necessarily to match the cultural, the cultural background we were in because we were there for a short time so we were on yeah. the surface but you're you're fully integrated you work there all your friends are there maybe you can explain to us how these differences how how they look now in retrospect like how they look what what they were like the first time and how do you even see them as differences now or have they become a part of your personal character development um, 
Right, so when they first came, two of the two of the main differences that I I saw was um, so you know that Bulgarians and lots of other Eastern European countries um, we're very personal in our interactions with people, and I mean it in a way when you see someone that you know and you you could have just seen them two hours ago but when you see them you always shake hands and you're kind of tactile with people so when you're talking to a friend or to someone that you're rem remotely close to it's not very uncommon to like i don't know uh you say something and you give them like a little pat on the shoulder or a pat on the back or you poke them with the elbow, like in a very slight and subtle way, just like to, I don't know, it's part of making the point about something. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of like, I don't want to sexualize it, but there is touching. Like we yeah, yeah, touch yeah, touching. Our... yeah, it's touching, it's touching, yeah. It's yeah. touching, we, yeah. we, we touch our friends all the yeah. time, yeah. we don't feel a boundary. Yeah, 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 so this thing, and also like I really missed, I never realized how much I miss, uh, touching i never realized how much i miss these little touches when you're interacting with someone or when you see someone that you know uh it's very rare here for people to shake hands or to do a high five when you see someone like back home like let's say you and me we go out we meet in front of my block we shake hands we go for a workout then we go home we take a shower and we go out and we've been split for 30 minutes but when we see each other after those 30 minutes we still we shake hands again and this is something that like people in the UK never do. And the the tactile thing, I was working my second job in the UK. I was working in a clinic, um, transporting organs and stuff. And I was talking to one of the nurses, and I was making a point across. And like I would just reach out and like I would say something like I would just like pat her on the shoulder or touch her back or something. So she was Spanish, and she said to me, "Darling, I'm going to give you a tip for the UK." People here don't like it uh, when you're tactile. She said, oh, it's fine with me because in Spanish we do the same thing. But keep in mind, if, if someone's British, they may take that as a, you going over their personal space. So for me, it took um, a bit of time to shake off this habit of expecting to, when I see someone that I know, to shake their hand or to have these little tiny notes of, of interactions like touching someone. And also another thing is people here don't really share much with people that are not their very close friends. Uh, I'm not talking about... And you mean very, 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 yeah. very, very close Very, friends. very close friends. Um, yeah. So when I, when I was a young kid, when I was 18, 19 years old, I would just tell my life story to all my colleagues at work. And nobody would share back or they wouldn't like deep, deep, dig deeper and, and try to find out more. They would just kind of like go, mm hmm, well, that's interesting. The, the, the British way of saying, I don't care about this or, you know, talk about something else. So these are these were my main, the main things that I had to get accustomed to that people here are a bit more closed off, even foreigners here. Because they're adapting to the culture, adapting to the country, to the lifestyle. So the thing that I had to adjust to the most was tweaking the way I 
have my social interactions with friends that I've made in the UK or new people that I'm talking to or new colleagues at work. And I think that kind of, yeah, I think that kind of developed a little bit in my character um, because I see it as a difference now. I see, uh, like, if I'm talking to someone who I don't know really well or maybe they're just not a very close friend of mine, I kind of restrict myself a little bit, even when I go back on holiday in, in Bulgaria and I'm hanging out with Bulgarians. I've seen it. I've seen it with you. When when you come back home, I, I can see your interaction is modeled the Brit into the British way. It's like putting on a shirt. I mean, you just change your behavior in a subtle way to fit the, the person that's in front of you. And... Uh, it just blew my mind now that you mentioned that that tactile thing because it's so true. I never really thought about it, but it's so true. Yeah, that's what yeah. I mean when I say that British people are more closed as a society. That that's exactly what I mean. That these little things that I cannot come to your house, and in Bulgaria, if we're friends, you can come without an invitation. There's no need for invitation. You just yeah, show you, up. Ju- you just show up. Yeah, you're like, dude, I'm here. Hey, what's up? Let's roll. Um, but yeah, that that's you, you described it perfectly. That's exactly what I meant when I said that they're, they're a bit more closed off. Like, and uh, and the thing is, like, they have this um, I shouldn't say fake positivity, but uh, how do you how do you call it them when they're when they're faking being nice? I think it's polite. just it's just yeah, it's just sort of like you when. You have this cliche talk at work when you go. Oh, you have your... this cliche. Yeah. How was yeah. your weekend? Oh, I went to the pub. Oh, that's nice. It's it's like oh, what's, what's, yeah. what's nice about that? It, I just went to the pub or whatever. Yeah, they have this uh, fake politeness. I I would say because uh, in a, in a way because in Bulgaria what we used to when somebody's very polite to you, they usually are conning you in a way, or they want something from you, or they're making a fun of you, or they're mocking you, or if you can tell that they're sincere, it's a very, very nice gesture, right? And you can tell that this person is educated and well-mannered and whatnot. But in the UK, everybody's very polite and very nice all the time. And you cannot tell if they're for real, like, where they say, hello, how was your day? You, you don't know if they're just making small talk or they're actually interested to know what, what's up with you, you know? And that's yeah, the thing that I, really, put, really put me off when I was there first I, and I, I could just see it. Maybe we, maybe because we're Bulgarian and we have that mentality, you know, we grew up with a kind of a really cynical upbringing, you know, in Bulgaria. Yeah, the people are kind of cynical. Of course, they have prerogatives, historical prerogatives to be cynical. You know, they, they, that's the way they grew up and that's the world they lived in. And that's the thing they passed down to their children. So I think, yeah. But uh, the, the, the thing about niceness in European countries I wouldn't say specifically European. I would narrow it down to England in general and uh, other countries that I'm not like familiar with their culture, but I've also witnessed, like you guys, in a smaller extent, English culture and like politeness. It's, I think it's a good approach to teaching people to always be polite and kind, 
even when they're not like that sincere because it still it, it trains the muscle memory you know it ingrains a type of behavior in the mind from like on all the repetitive you know all the repetitive niceness that you have to do all day it ingrains in your brain uh, a type of behavior that you have to exhibit i think that's a really good practice so even when niceness is not that sincere even with it's just an icebreaker or just a way to you know pass the conversation it still leaves uh you know a space to be genuinely nice and genuinely open and caregiving with like the people you care about the most whereas in bulgaria you know when you don't have that niceness it's like necessary in every situation uh niceness becomes kind of you know becomes it, politeness becomes kind of rare even in situations where i think should be compulsory like uh social situations where you meet people who you don't know situations where you're communicating with an institution or with like a company or something and yeah i absolutely agree in those situations when politeness is lacking it's a really bad you know it's it's not it's a very good, unprofessional too very unprofessional mm -hmm. it's it's unprofessional it's like maybe the, the thing on the surface that's most important is this this british politeness looks really professional whereas our eastern european you know oh we're open and we're not polite just for the sake of it we're openly rude and things like that that doesn't look professional yeah um, i agree i agree we we are just on the other end of the spectrum and uh, a middle a middle thing would be best i guess yeah a middle thing What was the adjustment period for you guys? What was, um, how did the, the first X amount of time, how long did it take you to adjust if, if you managed to adjust? And what were the things you were struggling with? What were the things that you were missing? And what, did, what were the things did you do to adjust? Um, well, I'll start, I guess, because it's like the most extreme one. I think I like I didn't adjust fully like it's a I think it's a really good we have a really good statistical representation in this conversation because we've all the three of us have lived for a different time span in you know abroad so uh I think we we all have different kinds of adjustments to the situation so in my case I was there for one year I still had to adjust, but the knowledge that I was like gonna go back home in one year, or at least you know, for some period of time, I was gonna be back in Bulgaria. I didn't like adjust fully, but still, I I would say the period of adjusting to even the most like basic things, like adjusting to daily life, was about two months in China, which is like really different culture to yours so in retrospect two months is like when you're in your place two months is nothing it's like a week you feel it pass by like like that like it's because when the time comes those two months have passed you've done so much in those two months that you can't believe that they've passed but i'd say like two to three months 
is like good adjusting like adjusting period for any country maybe like it's probably easier than others but like for two months i think if you can adjust for two months you shouldn't be there there's obviously some kind of problem that's keeping you from adjusting because like in two months you should be able to like ride subway know what kind of food to buy like in the supermarket like understand the local rush hours some some local like some some local traditions about what to do what not to do what to say what not to say how to make like basic conversations how to make friends like those are all those are all like i think on the surface of adjusting and then there's like deeper layers like finding a job adjusting to the workspace you know, building a career, that was like much harder. Those are maybe in in Emo's domain. He can maybe tell us some more about that. But I'd say two to three months was my adjusting period. And after that, everything yeah, became like, um, after the adjusting period, everything becomes, you know, mundane in a way. You know, there's still some shocking things, but 80% of your tasks become mundane. Did you did you ever feel it like home? Did you ever feel like you just walk around and you're like, well, that's my that's my home now. This is where I live. This is my this is my city. Yeah, no, no. I think that's the biggest problem with my full immersion in China was I never felt it like home. I did feel it like a like a safe place, like somewhere you know I can be safely. But I didn't exactly say, yeah, this is home. I I don't think I've had a moment like that. What about you, Will? Yeah, I'm, I'm the same, man. Um, I never felt, not once, in my whole stay in the UK where I thought, well, it's really nice here. Might make a home out of it. You know, never felt, never felt that emotion, ever. I always felt, though, that things were going for me. Like, when I was in the UK, it feels like you're in a sink you know and no matter what you do you're gonna end up in the canal that that analogy is how i refer to just having success in the in the uk or in the western world like if you just do simple things in the right way like study for your exams do your homeworks don't drink too much don't go out too too much you know have some social life, whatever you can find there, and just focus on you, focus on your work, on your craftsmanship, whatever. If you can just do that, things just automatically happen for you easily. Opportunities pop up. Things just go your way. I never felt that in Bulgaria. In Bulgaria, it was always a struggle. Whatever you had to do, it was always a struggle. But there, it was very different. Now, that I can vouch for that I had a really good time in the UK because it really opened my eyes to how are things supposed to be and how I would like things to be. But it socially, I never felt like this is my place. I'm going to live here and I love it here. And But I, I went there with that mindset, though. I got to say that I went there thinking that that's the holy grail that Bulgaria and Eastern Europe is so shit and 
this is the place. And my brother then said, you know, you might find that living abroad isn't as good as you want it to be. And it's true. Um, as for the adjustment period, it only took me a month because, as I said, you start finding the patterns. As soon as you start finding the patterns, as Kamen said, it becomes mundane because the patterns are find the local grocery store or the supermarket, get some food, learn how to cook basic stuff, then catch the bus, go to university, study, do your, go to your classes, do your homework, party whenever you can, then you find a job. I find a job at a bar and um, study for your exams. And that's it. And the culture, uh, it, uh, sorry, the social structure is not as different as it is in Bulgaria or any of the other European country. So you do this, the exact same things in Bulgaria that you would do there. Go to work, make a living, go home, work on yourself, do whatever you want. And that's why the adjustment period for me wasn't wasn't as much. It only took me a month before I I started just doing the mundane stuff and just getting in that mindset that I got to do this now and that's it for the next three years. Yeah, I guess I never I never felt it. I never felt it like home. In some rare occasions, I have when I've had like a very nice experience, just a nice night or day out with friends somewhere outside, and you know I could take it all in and be wow, this is this is this feels nice, this feels good. But most of the time, my stay in the UK has always been task oriented towards something. At first, it was getting a job, then it was finding out what I want to study. Then I was getting the degree. Then after my, getting my degree, it was starting a career in the field I wanted to. Then it was growing that career. And currently, it's getting the British citizenship. Um, and as you guys know, I'm planning on my grand return home after I get my citizenship. Because I feel like the passport is the last the last checkbox. Um, I don't see myself spending the rest of my life here so i've never had yeah i've never had any i've never had the the constant feeling of this is my home this is where i live this is this is the country where i live in i feel like home here it's always felt like there's things to pursue and like you said if you do your if you do your if you do your things right here opportunities are very easy to come by and if you put in the work it's it's much easier to progress here so it was it was easy for me here to progress with getting a job getting education growing a career it's not even that difficult to get my citizenship process right now um so yeah um i've never felt like home here but it's it it always felt like the progression towards the things I was working for has been easy if I put in the work. Likewise, likewise. That's what I mean, that out there in the Western countries as compared to Eastern Europe, things just happen if you do the right things. 
it's it's easy to just happen automatically if you just work on your on yourself work on your stuff and be focused and mindful things will just go your way yeah and also, that's a beautiful thing yeah one thing i want to talk about is do you i personally think that every person in any country should live in a different place for for a bit and i'm interested to know what you guys think um definitely i've always said that actually i would even go further and live in multiple places not just one place but really live there don't go for like two weeks or three weeks that's just being a tourist in the country because you know you're gonna leave eventually and uh that period is very short for any social adjustment um go and live in different countries for two years three years see how it is it's a vast world it's such a huge world and it just doesn't do justice to just stay in one place especially when you haven't settled down yet especially when you're young especially when there's so much things to see and do go there because go live abroad uh it changed my life for the better i would say that i lived in the uk for three and a half uh, years even though my general feeling from you know the uk is negative i would say it changed my life for the better it gave me a, a vacuum like a little bubble where i could just focus on me focus on my craft focus on my work grind 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 and things started going my way as i always wanted them to be they didn't go my way socially that's why went back to Bulgaria because I realized, and that was a huge thing for me, that I realized that I'm not meant to live over there. And I really, really need that social close contact that we have here in Bulgaria. And that's, I think, I discovered by myself. So in a way, even though it's a cliche, you realize a lot of things about yourself that might surprise you when you start living abroad. That's my take. What do you think, Kamen? So I think I think the I think the main benefit of living abroad and why everyone should do it is uh, that living abroad is the most direct, severe, and I think effective way to get out of your comfort zone. Yeah, you get the added benefit of like learning another language if you're you know prudent, uh, like experiencing another culture, meeting new people, those are really great, and no doubt. But the best thing about living abroad is leaving your comfort zone because everyone has a comfort zone in their country. And, um, okay, maybe not everyone, but most people have a comfort zone in their country. They know that they have a plan B probably. Uh, it's like everything feels safe. And when you go in another country, like on your own, you're truly on your own. You have no one there, no friends, no family. So it's a really, really, you know, creative and disciplinary experience. It teaches you discipline. It teaches you mostly, I think, the most, like the, the, the best lesson you can get from living abroad is that just because, you know, you're you're doing something 
like you're headed in a good direction. You're doing good things. You know, you're smart. You're hardworking. That doesn't guarantee you any like leeway, any leverage over other people. And sometimes you have losses that are like entirely not up to you, which you should learn. I think it's really important to learn how to deal with those kind of situations. And those situations are, you can experience them in your home country, but they're, I think they're even more, you know, even more common when you live abroad. So that's important. I think that's why everyone should, not everyone, but like most people should live abroad. I feel, I feel like this was a, a very fruitful conversation. And I thought we were good to, I think we're good to wrap up here. Sure. Do you have a, do you have an, an outro? Like something you say? No, we pretty much, we pretty much just, um, we just say thanks to whoever stuck around for 50 minutes listening to us. And you should, you should make some, you should do something like, you, you don't have sponsors yet. If you did, you could list like sponsors. Yeah, it could be really good. Normally, well, maybe we could. Okay, I'll I'll uh, uh, I'll, I'll start a trend right now, uh, and that would be gratitude ending. And I am very grateful to everyone that promoted the podcast and everyone who gave feedback. But I'll give special thanks to two people. And I hope we can get both of them to be guests on the show because they're both very intelligent young ladies. One of them is uh, Buyana, who's an insanely talented uh, artist. Uh, she's from our hometown. She also lives in the UK. Uh, she's been very supportive of the podcast, promoting it. And the other shout out goes to Line, also known as Nebulo, who is uh, a Danish girl that is a massive, big, famous Twitch streamer, and she's currently taking a break from streaming, uh, but she's been very nice and very supportive, promoting the podcast, and apparently she sat through the whole thing. So thank you girls very much, and thanks for the continued support. This is this is the new trend, the new outro. Uh, how did they call it? Gratitude endings. Gratitude endings. Maybe you should make when you in the future when you have more guests, you can make them like do a gratitude ending themselves, like gratitude. say something they're thankful about or something like that. In that spirit. Yeah, that's actually pretty good. I think that has like I read somewhere that like listing things you're grateful about every day actually helps alleviate some symptoms of like depression and anxiety. So that can be like really All right, good. Then- Let's do it right now. What are you what are you guys grateful for right now? I'm grateful for meeting my fucking deadlines in university for now at least. I'm mostly grateful to in this like in these trying times of like the COVID and shit like that, we can still find like room for normal normal conversations and like chill out even though we're separated like socially and with you like by like a big border yeah yeah 
Well, what are you grateful about, bro? Mm. I I usually say this to you maybe twice a week, but I'm really grateful for my job, man. Me and you, we have the best job in the world. Seriously. We sure do. We sure do, buddy. We have the best job in the world. The other day I had a fight with my girlfriend that she thinks I'm still a 9 to 5 guy. That me and you are 9 to 5 guys. We're nothing like 9 to 5 guys. Me and you can work from Monday through Wednesday and not touch a single line of code on Thursday and Friday. Because we've done all our stuff. That's right. For example. Or today we could feel like coding for 12 hours. We'll just program for 12 hours. And then we might not touch or we might not be productive for five more days. And that's fine. Nobody's mad at me. Nobody's screaming. I don't have to get up at 7 a.m., catch a bus to fuck knows where and and, uh, sit on a desk miserable in front of the computer. I have... I've got the time of my life right now and I'm just so grateful for it and grateful for everything that's happened in my life and the people I've met and uh, I appreciate this every single day. I might not say it out loud or write it in a notebook or like all these uh, productive whatever tips articles say but uh, I I feel it as an emotion that I'm very, very, very grateful for everything I have in my life. That's a nice thing to be grateful about. I am grateful about having such good friends and family I can just sit down and have a nice conversation with or just have them in my life. You just shit on our gratitude. <laughs> yeah, man. Are you trying to over-gratitude me? <laughs> he, he, just, he just gratitude. <laughs> That's a just, weird flex, man. That's just, a weird flex. I just gratitude just, on your asses and you can't even be mad because you're my friends and family, why, bro. Yeah. <laughs> That's the worst kind of flex. That's why you waited to be last in line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He totally did that. that he did that shit on purpose. He, dude, I know you. I know you. You did that shit on purpose. You... all right thank you everyone thank you for listening thanks coming for joining today and and staying up late to talk with us thanks for having you on the show buddy that was a great talk Uh, i had a lot of fun and i realized a lot of things thank you good night guys good night guys everybody until next week